Well, if you have a Bible, open up to the small letter from Paul to Philemon in the New Testament. And if you're not sure where that is, just look in the table of contents. There's no shame. Uh, Or you can look on the screen. We'll have the scripture on the screen for you as well. So we're in part two, uh, part two of our sermon. We started last week through this very short book of the New Testament, but very important book called Philemon. So we're going to continue that today. But first, let me pray for us and ask the Lord to bless his word uh, as we receive it today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for being able to even be here today for the Bible, for the word of God that you have given us. Lord, this is your word. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you would change us where we need to be changed that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, but you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. So Lord, let no one here, let none of us leave the same as when we walked in. Would you transform us by your power, by your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So like we saw last week, this short little letter from Paul to Philemon, it, it really serves as a case study for the book of Colossians, which we just wrapped up uh, walking through our spring sermon series a couple of weeks ago, because Philemon shows us how the truths of Colossians apply to our interpersonal relationships, and specifically interpersonal conflict. So this letter is from Paul to a man named Philemon. He was a member of the church in Colossae. He was a wealthy man, uh, and apparently he had a house large enough to actually host the church in Colossae in his home. So back then, they didn't have church buildings like we do today. They had to meet in each other's houses, and so Philemon hosted the church in his home. He was a generous guy. Philemon had bondservants who worked for him. Now, bondservants were people in the Roman Empire who typically served under a seven-year labor contract to their master, under their master, and and they were freed at the end of that seven years, and they were given the money that they had earned. So very different kind of system that we have no idea of really today because that was a a contract that they agreed to and they worked under. But they were also considered an important part of the family because they worked in their master's home. They were there every day. Well, one of Philemon's bond servants named Onesimus apparently stole money from Philemon and ran away. He ran away before the contract was up. So this is a big deal because in the Roman Empire, if you were to do this, if you were a bond servant working in this contractual obligation and serving your master, and you stole from them and then ran away, that often was punishable by death. So the Romans took that very seriously. So Onesimus flees all the way to Rome, which is a pretty safe bet on his part because that's 1,300 miles away from Colossae. So he can just hide out in the big city and go unnoticed. (laughs) But you'll never guess who he ran into. He just so happened to run into a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus. And Onesimus, get this, 
He heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus had done for him, and he turned away from his sin, and he believed. He trusted Jesus Christ to be his Lord, to be his Savior, to be everything he could never be. So this fugitive who was running away from his master turned to Christ and became a Christian. So you guys know, when you turn to Christ and begin to follow him, he changes your life. But it doesn't all happen overnight, does it? It takes time. It's a process. The Lord works his truth and his grace deeper and deeper into your heart as time moves on, as you go through different circumstances and you go through different trials and situations, the ups and downs of life. Jesus is working in all of those moments to transform you, to change you, to make you more like him. So this is now happening in Onesimus' life. But along the way, along the way in our spiritual journey with the Lord, we are called to obey, right? It's not a passive issue. It's an active obedience that God calls us to. We're called to grow in our faith and to pursue that growth. And sometimes that means applying God's truth to really difficult situations, to applying God's truth to the relationships and the friendships we have in this world. So now, now you see why Paul is writing this letter to Philemon concerning his and Onesimus' relationship. They both need to treat each other as brothers in Christ now because that's who they really are. But to do that, to really treat each other like they are brothers in the family of God now, as equals, a master and a bondservant now equal, to really treat each other that way, as Paul is saying, they're going to have to come face to face with each other, literally, physically, right? But they're going to have to address their problems. They're going to have to address their past. They're going to have to address their conflict between themselves. So what I want us to do today is read this letter in its entirety, again, just like we did last week. Let's just read it straight through, and then we'll make the points about what we see going on between Philemon and Onesimus specifically. All right, so let's start verse 1. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. 
I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So last week, we examined this letter from Paul's vantage point. But today, I want us to look at it in terms of Philemon's and Onesimus' involvement in this matter together. So, First question I want us to ask is this, what what can we learn from Onesimus? In in terms of what happened to him, what he is doing, what he's being asked to do by Paul to go back to Philemon, all of this, what can we learn from the one who wronged someone else? Well, number one, the first thing we see is that we must accept God's forgiveness first. Look at verse 10 again. Paul notes, he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, what does he mean? See, Paul is, is using this family language, right? He, this is his way of saying that Onesimus has now become a part of the family of God. So Paul sees himself as his spiritual father, like a mentor, because Paul is the one who shared the gospel with him, right? And he believed. He accepted Onesimus accepted God's forgiveness. You see, Onesimus, we know that he owed a great debt to Philemon. And he may have been able to pay that off eventually, right? But his bigger problem was not the debt that he owed to Philemon. The bigger issue that Onesimus had going on in his heart was the debt that he owed to God. That debt was insurmountable, a debt he could never repay. You see, the Bible tells us that this is true for every single one of us. Every human who's ever lived owes an insurmountable debt to God. Every person has sinned against our master, our creator, by trying to steal from him. Similarly, like Onesimus did to Philemon, we we try to steal from God. How do we do that, you say? Well, we try to put the spotlight on ourselves. We try to take the glory that he deserves, and, well, we want a slice of that. So we do things to put ourselves at a higher level inappropriately. We do things to be manipulative. We do things to make ourselves front and center, to look good, to make 
other people be impressed. And so we love taking glory for ourselves that is rightfully due to God alone. We sin against God in all kinds of different ways. We steal from him all the time by trying to figure out life on our own as if we just maybe don't really need him. So this sin that we deal with in our own hearts, this rebellion against our God, you know what that does? It creates a debt. Just like the debt between Onesimus and Philemon, except far, far greater. It creates a debt because it is a significant, special kind of debt. And what I mean is, it's really an irreparable separation between us and God. It's a broken relationship that cannot be repaired by us. But this is the very reason that Jesus Christ came to earth. He came to fix the so-called irreparable separation between us and God. He came to stand in that gap. He came to reconcile us to God. He did this by paying the debt we owe to God through his death on the cross So on the cross, what Jesus does is he's actually taking your debt, your sin, your penalty of death, and putting it on himself. See, in Rome, in ancient Rome, right, the runaway bondservant who's stolen from his master, that's punishable punishable by death. Well, Jesus steps in and says, you know what? Don't punish him. Don't punish her. Punish me instead for them. Jesus stood quite literally, in your place then on the cross. He hung on the cross and took the punishment for your sin that you deserve as your substitute so that your debt to God could be forgiven. Fully, fully, really, seriously, fully forgiven. All of it, everything you've ever done. See, that that was the first thing that Onesimus needed to accept. Do you see that? Before Onesimus could make things right with the person he wronged, he first had to make things right in his heart with God, the number one person he had wronged. David, after committing adultery with Bathsheba in the Old Testament in Psalm 51, he cries out to the Lord and acknowledges that he sinned against God first. Other people were suffering the consequences of his actions, but namely and first, God God was part of the consequence. In other words, David hurt the heart of God by sinning against him first. This is us. This is what we do when we even wrong someone else. The first offense is against our creator who created us to love him and love each other. You see, forgiveness isn't just something we're supposed to do. You know? Like when we talk about forgiveness, I think a lot of us talk about giving forgiveness. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but we have to accept God's forgiveness of our own sin first. It's not just something we do. It's something that we need. Tim Keller, who passed away recently, wrote in his latest and final book, Forgive. The name of the book is Forgive. He wrote, forgiveness gets down to the bottom of things, to the alienation we feel from God and from ourselves because of our wrongdoing. In other words, deep down, every human knows that they need forgiveness. Like really deep down in our heart of hearts, we know that we've wronged our creator. We know there's a gap. We know that we need to be reconciled to our maker. So maybe like Onesimus, 
you've betrayed others. Maybe you've run away from God. Maybe you've tried to suppress that though, right? So in other words, you've tried to suppress your need for God's forgiveness. Or, this is common for a lot of us, maybe maybe you don't think you deserve God's forgiveness. Now that's true, but a lot of us take that so far that we, we kind of like to throw ourselves a pity party and we dwell on all the bad things we've ever done because we just feel like God would never forgive us. We're so bad that God's grace can't reach me. Right? I know God forgives a lot of people in the world, but he's not going to forgive me because of the things I've done. A lot of us have that mindset, right? And so what do we what do? We do? Well, we, we keep a safe distance between ourselves and God, or we keep a safe distance between ourselves and church, and we keep a safe distance between ourselves and other Christians because we don't want to feel that guilt. We don't want to feel like we have to acknowledge that maybe we did do something wrong and we do need to make it right with God. You see, wherever you are on your journey, whatever you've done, listen, whoever you are, hear this. It's really not about you. You know, like, it's not. And and what I mean by that is, ultimately, it's about Jesus and what he's already done for you. That's the focus. We repent, we confess, we talk about our sin openly to God and let him know and talk to him about it, right? He already knows. Right? But we confess it to God, we're candid, we're open with Him because we know that He will and can and does forgive because it's all about what Jesus has already done. See, salvation, being reconciled to God, it's not about trying to impress God. It's not about trying to impress anybody else. It's not about how great you can clean up your life and then come to church and then come to God. No, you come with the mess. Come with the mess and leave it at the feet of God and say, Lord, I can't, I can't do this. But I know that you can. Salvation is coming to God and saying, I can't, but I know you already have. Lord, please forgive me, a sinner. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 states it plainly. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is what Onesimus, the fugitive and the betrayer, that's what he accepted. He accepted that truth. So why can't you? What's holding you back from accepting God's forgiveness today? We must accept God's forgiveness first. The second thing that we can learn from Onesimus is this. We must seek forgiveness from others. So if you accept God's forgiveness for your sin, you confess your sin to the Lord, you admit Right, that you just, you know, you can't do this and you need his grace, you need his forgiveness, you accept that, then it's time to make things right with others. Now imagine that you are Onesimus, okay? So you've done something very hurtful, right? You've betrayed Philemon, you've betrayed his family, but now you're a different person because you love Jesus now. Right? You, you are following in obedience to the scriptures. You're, you're listening to your spiritual mentor, Paul. You're, you're fellowshipping with other Christians, right? And so now you're just you're a different person. You have a different life. And then your new mentor, Paul, says, Okay, I, I think you need to go back, though. I think you need to go back to Philemon and make things right. Now that's probably not what you want to hear, right? Now keep in mind. I already mentioned that in the Roman Empire, it's potentially punishable by death. So when Paul tells you to go back, you're not going to want to do that. But guess what? Onesimus did. 
He did the right thing. He went back to Philemon as a mail carrier with this letter. <laughs> like, how about that? Paul's like, hey, I want you to go back to Philemon, and I want you to take this letter about yourself and give it to him. Now, Onesimus could have, you know, he could have just taken the letter and just went off somewhere else, right? On a vacation to Spain or somewhere else. But he went back. He went back and he sought forgiveness and reconciliation with Philemon. So maybe you're like Onesimus, right? Have you wronged someone? And maybe you need to ask their forgiveness. Now, this is one of the hardest things to do in life because it's kind of like taking a, it's kind of like taking a walk of shame, isn't it? It's never fun to admit your guilt that you've actually hurt someone. But here's the thing. How can we do that? Like, how can we do that without being paralyzed by fear? Because of, regardless of, of whether the person you've wronged, right, regardless of whether they forgive you or not, you, you have already experienced the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. You see, that's the key to being able to seek forgiveness from someone you've wronged. You can approach them and you can be candid and you can be honest with them and open and transparent because at the end of the day, you know that you stand cleansed before God. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, that, that you can't make things right, right? You need to make things right with this person if they're willing and able. So knowing that, though, knowing that God has forgiven you, the greatest judge, that actually frees you from that fear it allows you to be truthful. It allows you to be genuinely sorrowful and repentant because you know your sin is paid for. And if you can be reconciled to God, you know forgiveness and reconciliation is possible with someone else. So we must seek forgiveness from others with sincerity, with humility. So those are a couple of things, a couple of quick things we can learn from Onesimus. But what about Philemon? What should we learn from Philemon? I say should because we're not told the end of this story in detail at all, really. So what, what should we learn from Philemon? Well, number one, we should extend forgiveness. Look at verse 8. Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. That's an interesting word to use here, right? I mean, what is required in this situation? Well, Forgiveness. Forgiveness is what's required in this situation between Philemon and Onesimus. Whatever, whatever Onesimus did to Philemon, to upset him, to hurt him and his family, to call them financial loss, social embarrassment, whatever it is, all these things together, it's hard, it's difficult for Philemon to extend forgiveness to Onesimus, but that is what is required. In fact, look at Colossians chapter 3. We saw this in our study of Colossians. It tells us in verse 13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see, when we extend forgiveness to someone, I'm using that word extend very, very intentionally. We're taking the forgiveness God has given us and we're extending it to someone else. We know that we don't deserve God's forgiveness. And the person who wronged you, they may not deserve your forgiveness, but in the way that God has treated you. You see, you, you can extend that to someone else because you're so grateful. You see, that's our motivation. 
Our motivation to forgive others is an overwhelming appreciation and gratitude for what you've already been given in Christ Jesus. The more that we relish in our forgiveness from God, the easier and quicker we are to forgive others. So if you're having trouble forgiving someone in your life, you may be having trouble accepting God's forgiveness for yourself. Not saying that that's a direct correlation necessarily, but it definitely could be tied together. See, Paul doesn't want to, he, don't, he doesn't want to use his apostolic authority to force Philemon to do anything. He wants Philemon to extend forgiveness out of the, out of the motivation of his own heart, right? His, his gratitude, his appreciation, appreciation for God's forgiveness to, to give that to Onesimus. But when we talk about forgiving someone, I do realize every situation is different. In a room this size with this many people, we've been hurt in different ways, on different levels, some more major, some more minor, some greater, some lesser. So when we talk about forgiving someone, every situation is different and unique. So sometimes then, sometimes we can talk about forgiveness in kind of a vague way, right? So I want us to think in more detail about what it looks like to actually forgive someone. So there's a Christian author named Ken Sandy, uh, who wrote a popular book called Peacemaker. And he gives some great insight into forgiving others. And I want to share this with you. So he says, he, he talks a little bit about what forgiveness is not. All right, what forgiveness is not. Here's what he says. He says, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. So we, we put a lot of emotional weight on forgiveness, right? If we don't feel like we should forgive someone, maybe we don't. Or if we don't feel forgiven by God, we, you know, we sulk and we, and we sour. But he says, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. It's a series of decisions that you make. He says, forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, you hear, you hear that, right? You hear that uh, a lot. It's kind of a catchphrase in our culture, forgive, you know, forgive and forget. Or I, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, he says, forgiveness is not forgetting. No, it's a conscious choice and deliberate action to think or talk about what others have done to hurt us. In other words, we acknowledge the hurt when we forgive. Forgiveness is not excusing. Excusing implies that they didn't, uh, what they did wasn't really wrong. But the very fact that forgiveness is needed indicates that what someone did was wrong and inexcusable. So forgiveness says, we both know that what you did was wrong and without excuse, but since God has forgiven me, I forgive you. So then, he says, to forgive someone means to release him or her from liability to suffer punishment or penalty. Do you see that? Do you see the gospel applied to your life in that? By that definition, to release someone from liability to suffer punishment or penalty for what they did, that's what Jesus did for you. He released you from being held liable for what you've done to God. Can't we do the same? Can't we show people? Man, what a great opportunity. Forgiveness may be one of the best, true, crystal clear displays of the gospel that we can actually show people in our lives because we're showing them that even though they deserve punishment and they deserve judgment or to just mull over their problem that they created between ourselves, we can 
release them from that liability. You are releasing that person from having to pay any kind of debt to you, whether it be emotional, perhaps financial, relational, social debt. But someone has to pay. And let's not undermine that, right? Someone has to pay because forgiveness is not free. It is very costly to the forgiver, to you. If you're the one forgiving someone else, forgiveness is going to cost you. To quote Keller again from his book, Forgive, he says, to forgive someone's debt to you is to absorb the debt yourself. So he gives us a good example here. He says, if a friend borrows your car, totals it through reckless driving, and cannot pay you back financially, you may say, I forgive you. But the price of the wrong does not evaporate into the air, does it? (laughs) You either find the money to buy a new car, or you go without one. Either way, forgiveness means the cost of the wrong moves from the perpetrator to you. And you bear it. Forgiveness, then, is a form of voluntary suffering. He says in forgiveness, rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. Again, it's the gospel on display. Jesus made a choice voluntarily to suffer in your place, to absorb the debt himself, to pay the cost, the infinite cost of his life. You see, on the surface, on the surface, when we think about absorbing someone else's debt. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we want to do that? The world thinks that is absurd. But because we know that's what Jesus did for us, that's the motivation. That voluntary bearing the cost. That's why, that's how you can be liberated to forgive those who have hurt you as we have been forgiven. The second thing And the final thing that we see is that we should pursue reconciliation. See, forgiveness and reconciliation are really not the same thing, right? Because you could forgive someone, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be willing to reconcile with you, but you have to pursue it. You have to pursue reconciliation. Verse 15 of Philemon says, For this perhaps is why he was parted, from you for a while that you might have him back forever. So now Paul's talking about reconciling, right? So forgiveness is happening in their hearts, right? Accepting it, granting it, exercising it. But now the next step is going to be actual reconciliation. So Paul's, that's what he's getting at here. He says that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him. Listen to this. Don't miss this last line. Receive him as you would receive me. Now this is the Apostle Paul talking, right? He is one of the greatest leaders in the church, in the world at this moment when he's writing this letter. And he is telling this wealthy man living in Colossae to no longer treat his bondservant like a bondservant, but to release him and treat him as a brother, as an equal. 
Paul expects Philemon to do this, to go above and beyond and not hold back any kind of love or any respect or any dignity toward Onesimus. To not only forgive him, but to be reconciled, to mend and heal the broken relationship between the two of them. You see, we think forgiving someone might be the hardest part, but maybe this is the hardest part. Being reconciled to someone, actually pursuing a good, healthy friendship or relationship with that person in the future, that is probably the hardest part. But we should seek to be reconciled with those we have been in conflict with. And I I read a commentator say, and I agree with this wholeheartedly, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be BFF with whoever hurts you. I get that. And I don't want to undermine the fact that, that there are some relationships that have been broken, right, through divorce or other situations uh, where you, you may not be best friends with the person moving forward, and I, I get it, I do. But that doesn't mean that there can't be a peaceful, right, a peaceful relationship moving forward for the sake of everyone else involved as well. But you know it's hard to be reconciled. It's difficult. This is extremely difficult, but we know it's hard to be reconciled to someone if you think, Right, if you think deep down you are better than they are, right? Because that's really what's going to be the big issue. And we may not think that at first, but when we're talking about being reconciled with someone, we may think deep down we're better than they are. And that's why we look down on them. That's why we keep talking negatively about them to others, because ultimately we think we're better than they are, right? They have sinned so greatly and they're just beyond God's reach. (laughs) And so they're the problem, not me. It's never me, it's always all them. So it starts, it starts with seeing the person as an equal. What do you mean equal? Well, what we mean by that is you are just as much in need of God's forgiveness and grace as they are. You see them and you understand that you are no better than them. At the end of the day, you both deserve eternal separation from God. So are you really better than they are? You see, we have to think about this letter to Philemon and see the deep truths here that Paul is talking about so that we can really understand this and apply this to our own relationships. We are no better. Notice Paul is asking Philemon to change the way he sees Onesimus, the way he views him. He says, no longer as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother, a brother, and receive him as you would receive me. So for true reconciliation to take place, for a relationship of any kind to be healed, both parties must see themselves as equals, both in desperate need of God's grace and forgiveness themselves. That's the only way it can work. Otherwise, one or the other will always think they're above the other, right? Both people must understand their need for God's grace and forgiveness themselves. So why why do you need to seek or who do you need to seek reconciliation with, right? Paul's Paul's language in this letter, it's not just spiritual jargon. This is real. This should affect our daily interactions with others. So let me ask, who are you? Who are you not seeking reconciliation with? Who are you treating with contempt or malice? Who are you gossiping about? Who do you love to just metaphorically 
hang their picture up on the wall and throw darts at it. Or maybe you do that literally, I don't know. (laughs) Who are you treating in that kind of way? Who are you bitter against, right? Who are you avoiding? Who do you show prejudice to in some way? C.S. Lewis, he says, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Ken Sandy, again, he says, he gives what he calls the four promises of forgiveness. I want to share these with you on the screen. The four promises of forgiveness from his book, Peacemaker. This can really help us think about what to say or not to say or do or not do during the reconciliation process. And there's a lot more that goes into this, but I just want to give this to you. If you want to write these down, you can get the book. It's called Peacemaker, uh, or you can you know, order it on Amazon, fairly cheap, whatever you want to do, or maybe Google some stuff about it. But the four promises of forgiveness is very good gospel-centered uh, stuff here. But number one, here's what we have to do. If we're pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation with someone, number one, I will not think about this incident. In other words, you're not going to dwell on the problem, right? You're not going to make the problem bigger than the relationship, as I heard a mentor of mine say recently, right? So don't make the problem bigger than the relationship. You're not going to dwell on this. You're not going to keep bringing it up to yourself. Number two, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. So number one is essentially, I'm not going to keep bringing this up to myself, all right, and reminding myself of how bad the other person is, but I'm also not going to keep bringing it up to them, Right? So I'm not going to use it as a weapon against them every time they do something else wrong. So classic example in marriage, right? If you're married, that is the example. Just marriage itself, right? Just constantly bringing something up against your spouse. Like, well, remember, you did that two weeks ago, right? Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. So I'm not going to bring it up to myself. I'm not going to keep bringing it up to you and keep holding you liable. But I'm also not going to keep gossiping about it to everybody else. Right? And number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So, so what about Philemon and Onesimus? How did this end? We're actually not told. If you notice that in the letter, right? We're not told how this story ends between them. But the NIV study Bible says the inclusion of this letter in the New Testament suggests it was successful. Think about that, right? Why would this have been included in the Bible if it was a failure? (laughs) Most likely they did reconcile. Philemon did forgive Onesimus. And this probably served as a great, a great story of the triumph of forgiveness and reconciliation with the gospel on display. But how will your story of forgiveness and reconciliation end? How will your conflict end? How will your relationship pan out? Who do you need to be reconciled with? Who do you need to forgive? Whose forgiveness do you need to seek? You know, like I said, this is not easy in any sense of the imagination. But we have to keep coming back to the truth we know about ourselves. God looked at you and sent his son to repair the relationship that you broke 
that I broke because he loved you. And at the end of the day, he wanted you. He just wanted you. But he knew that you couldn't get to him. So he came to you. That's the gospel. It's Jesus in our place. It's Jesus paying the debt to reconcile that relationship to God that we could never do. Because we're so grateful, because we know that's what God did for us, how could we not do the same for others? How could we not look at those around us who either seriously have wronged us or maybe even just annoy you? And so you fuss at them and you argue with them. How could we not be quick to show God's love, his forgiveness, as an extension to them? That's what we're called to do. That's what God is asking of you today. Doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but it means that it's worth it. It means that the gospel tells us it's absolutely worth it because you have a chance. You, Philemon, if you're Philemon in the story, you have a chance to display God's goodness in a way that maybe they've never seen before. If you're Onesimus, make things right, go back, be honest, admit your mistake and ask for forgiveness. We can do this. We can do this without fear because Jesus has already done it for you.